O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let the whole earth stand in awe of him. Let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, open thou our lips. And our mouth shall show forth thy praise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Psalm 116, beginning on page 486. My delight is in the Lord because he hath heard the voice of my prayer. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The snares of death compassed me round about, and the pains of hell gat hold upon me. I found trouble and heaviness. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was in misery, and he helped me. Turn again then unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath rewarded thee. And why? Thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, and therefore will I speak, but I was sore troubled. I said in my haste, All men are liars. What reward shall I give unto the Lord for all the benefits that he hath done unto me? I will receive the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows now in the presence of all his people. Right dear in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Behold, O Lord, how that I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast broken my bonds in sunder. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the sight of all his people, 
in the courts of the Lord's house, even in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here begins the fifteenth verse of the thirteenth chapter of the book of Nehemiah. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves, and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods, and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah, and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do, by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut, and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates, so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves, and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me, according to the greatness of your mercy. Here ends the first lesson. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath magnified me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath holpen his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here begins the thirteenth verse of the fifteenth chapter of the book of Acts. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it, as it is written. After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. 
Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has thought has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Here ends the second lesson. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, show thy mercy upon us. And grant us thy salvation. O Lord, save the state. And mercifully hear us when we call upon thee. And do thy ministers with righteousness. And make thy chosen people joyful. O Lord, save thy people. And bless thine inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord. For it is thou, Lord, only that makest us dwell in safety. O God, make clean our hearts within us. And take not thy Holy Spirit from us. O Lord, we beseech thee mercifully to hear us, and grant that we, to whom thou hast given an hearty desire to pray, may by thy mighty aid be defended and comforted in all dangers and adversities, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments, and also that by thee, we being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness, through the merits of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord, and by thy great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night, for the love of thy only Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Good evening to all. I think we need to begin in Psalm 116 tonight. 116 gives us um, a curious um, observation about um, an interior um, issue we, we might often experience as people who can look back and recollect things that God has done for us and yet nevertheless feel a pull into hasty, thoughtless behavior or reflections on the world around us. Um, so when we look at the psalmist in 116, clearly this is a psalm of thanksgiving 
but it's a thanks it's a thanksgiving psalm that gives us a kind of the vex the kind of vexed relationship that two interior experiences have with each other one is reflecting on things that god has done that we can point to and say the lord was good to me and he did this thing and yet nevertheless certain you know imminent sort of uh you know experiences things that are right in front of our face can tempt us um, to forget those things either forget them or to be displaced from the sense of confidence that those things should rightfully bestow to us uh, and both of those things can live very ably in the same person and in the heart and i think we've all experienced those things kind of uh you know having at each other within us um, so the psalmist reflects on this in the language of, you know, re re recounting and giving thanks for the way that the Lord has heard his his prayer. That's the inciting condition. That's the inciting reason for the whole poem and for that for that song of thanks. And yet, you know, he reflects also that, you know, that he he was that you know, he's having to kind of call himself back in the midst of this psalm as well. And even though that he knows these things have been and that the Lord has has been good to him, he says, you know, even though I have received salvation of the Lord's hand, nevertheless, I have to still call my soul, as he says, back to its calm. And that's the literal um, Hebrew there is, he says, return to your calm, my soul. Um, and I thought, I think that's a powerful way of expressing that this isn't a denial or even a forgetting of what has been, but rather it reflects the kind of sophisticated view of our interior life where we can know that God is good we can know that God has actually been there for us and yet nevertheless get dragged away from our calm or wander away from our calm um, that should maybe attend that, that, that sense of, that should attend confidently the knowledge that God has done those things. Um, and so there may be in the same person, someone who robustly knows, wow, God has been really good to me. And yet at the same time, be keenly aware that they are not calm always when like high pressure things are happening right around them, they can get really anxious. And even in the midst of that, he reflects this again, right? He says, I remembered and thus I spoke, you know, based on what I remembered. And yet in my haste, I still said, all men are liars, right? I made this hasty compulsive statement in the midst of even knowing that, you know, like in the midst of this kind of calm, hitting towards this calm, I still can detect within myself this thing that drags me into a kind of um, recklessness of thought. And I think we have to remember that as we go into um, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a complicated book, um, and sometimes it, you know, it, you know, sometimes it gets misread. I think because of its, you know, because of the kind of valorousness with which the returnees of the captivity come back to the to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And there are a couple of just really robust speeches that rally people to the work of rebuilding the, the you know, the walls and rebuilding the city. And yet um, Nehemiah, who is so who's so fixated for much of this book on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem again. Um, in some ways, it's like, it seems like his spirituality gets conformed to it in a way too. And then we have to observe that tension there in this book as well, particularly in tonight's lesson. Um, Nehemiah is arguing a good thing. It's one of the commandments that the Sabbath should be kept and that it should be, you know, that it should be kept sacred. He's making an appeal to the merchants and the nobles of Jerusalem to uphold sacred time and to not fall into the disastrous habits of forgetfulness that those in generations prior had fallen into, which largely resulted in the captivity of being sent into exile. And yet at the same time, Nehemiah's zeal for making this appeal borders on, you know, violence, you know, in, in a number of different uh, uh, cases, and maybe even transgresses some, some real 
boundaries of charity here um, that, you know, the way that he goes about this becomes so zealous that it becomes uh, almost kind of uh, coercive. It becomes um, almost militaristic. It becomes almost um, oppressive in some ways. And this is always a tension that attends um, rigorousness in spirituality is that a rigor, you know, in spirituality can quickly become a kind of legalism or it can be can become a kind of thing that alienates where it is actually meant to draw together and to and to and to and to bring together an integrity. And that can pull a person from apart from within and that can also pull people apart on the outside. But you can also detect here this budding animosity with this sense of exterior threat, right? We've just gotten this city back on hand and all these merchants from abroad are coming in and they're tempting us to forget the Sabbath. And, you know, it's like, get away merchants and actually don't even camp outside the city because if you do, I'm going to like chase you away with, you know, and I may lay hands on you, right? There's this, you know, there's this, this budding zeal that is for a good reason and to uphold one of the commandments. And yet at the same time, um, we will see a trickle down effect through the intertestamental period and going on into the New Testament that largely contributes to this kind of the, the attitude among the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin that outsiders are something of a threat and they are, you know, and it, and it produces the imaginative dissonance among the, even the apostles who are witnessing the Holy Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles and yet are kind of wondering, like, kind of, kind of raising an eyebrow towards this whole situation, even after the chief among them, Peter, after Paul, after all these people are reporting, no, this is, this is exactly what's happening. And, and in our reading for tonight from Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem, it's argued persuasively that this has actually always been God's plan. And the fact that we're surprised by this says a lot more about our maybe uh, misaligned uh, expectations of how God would work more than how God actually said he would work. Because if we actually look back, uh, this seems to be his mission all along that through the, the children of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that this isn't him suddenly changing his mind and becoming someone he's not. Rather, it's, it's him just doing what he said he would always do. And we're witnessing that. And it's also calling to light and witnessing that that we are we have been drawn into a way of thinking about the Gentiles that is not how God sees them. And so th that's what's being sort of processed and deliberated upon in the Council of Jerusalem. And it draws us back to, I think, the psalmist's posture again is that, you know, like Nehemiah, Nehemiah has witnessed this deliverance that people had waited decades to see, that, that people had been allowed back into the land after these decades of captivity being kept abroad and yet um you know there's the knowledge of that salvation that is intact it's secure people can see it because they're back they're not in babylon or persia anymore they're back in the land and they're rebuilding the city things are factually the case and yet like the psalmist nehemiah is like anyone else is capable of being dragged away from his calm right the calm steady confidence in god that is the experience of one who for whom these facts about the works of God has assimilated into their very being, into their very soul. This is the work of spiritual formation, is that these mighty deeds of God in saving humanity, saving the cosmos, and saving each of us are assimilated into how we live and breathe and move. And we can still, even in the midst of that knowledge, get pulled away. And that's where we come back as we do morning and evening and all throughout the day. That is the mark of our time to come back again, to return to your calm, my soul, right? Don't speak in haste. Don't speak in haste. Remember and speak out of that remembrance, coming back. 
And then when we come back, when we're deliberating on things in real time, as with the apostles and the council, you know, this is the thing is, is there's a reactive kind of posture we see on hand of saying, no, 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 Gentiles aren't like that. We need to like set some policies in place for how the Gentiles are to be treated. And yet, nevertheless, when they return together, when they all come together, when they return to their prayer, they return to their calm, able to see clearly, actually, this is the will of God to bring them in among us, to make us one. And so when we are thinking about in our Trinity season coming up about formation, this is the work at hand. You know, these mighty things have been done in our sight. They have been delivered to us. And what remains now is for us to walk in them. And this is a little bit about what that means. So a couple thoughts for tonight. We'll conclude with our intercession on page 590. Let us pray. Accept, O Lord, our intercessions for all mankind. Let the light of thy gospel shine upon all nations, and may as many as have received it live as becomes it. Be gracious unto thy church, and grant that every member of the same in his vocation and ministry may serve thee faithfully. Bless all in authority over us, and so rule their hearts and strengthen their hands, that they may punish wickedness and vice and maintain thy true religion and virtue. Send down thy blessings, temporal and spiritual, upon all our relations, friends and neighbors. Reward all who have done us good and pardon all those who have done or wish us evil and give them repentance and better minds. Be merciful to all who are in any trouble. And do thou, the God of pity, administer to them according to their several necessities. For his sake, who went about doing good, thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining in tonight. And thanks to Aaliyah, my co-leader. I hope you have a wonderful evening. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Father Hayden. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. <laughs>